right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Tuesday, August 22nd. I'm Chris Manning. That man over there is Brendan Clean. Thanks again to Dylan Heiser, as always, on production. If you haven't already, please give us a follow, a subscription, a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. You can hit subscribe as well on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. Dylan does a great job maintaining a lot of our back-end stuff, and you can find us on all socials as well. Some TikTok news coming soon if you want to get in on our, our TikTok boom. So please go ahead and hit get in early and follow us over there. Get in early. You know, we're not quite an IPO, um, but think <laughs> of it as like a, a IPO vibe kind of thing, you know? Mm, sure. Yeah, you know, just in, you're an early investor in... In a brand. It's like, uh, we're going to talk about winning time later. It's like in the first episode when they just like, hey, do you see there's an ESPN logo here? We're talking about cable. We're talking about ESPN. And it's like, okay, we get it. Like, we I, I, we get it. I so you're saying people are tired of us. No, I'm saying that like, it's like when it's like when you see that logo and you know it's what's like coming. It's like people in like, the show at that no. period of time. What yeah, they it's like thought. you're getting, yeah. And it's so we're the next like ESPN. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. That's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. done. I think I, was, I wasn't shitting on us, Brendan. I was no, I, pumping I, our I, okay. I know. I was mostly joking when I said that part, but okay. I'm, I'm down yeah. to be the next ESPN. We're, yeah, we're, we're just out here. Um, we're going to make tons of money. It's going to be great. By the way, if you want to support the show, Homage is a great way to do that with us. Homage is an ultra comfortable. I am wearing, because the Columbus crew won the hell of this real nice. derby yesterday, baby. Got my Columbus crew Homage Udion. on. Uh, they're an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses and MLS. They use vintage inspired designs to be homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link, click that link, buy yourself something nice, support the Just Basketball Show. The NBA season is around the corner. Maybe you need to get an NBA Jam tee for your favorite team, just a new logo tee, something cool. It's a great way to go do that. Go click that link. Some of the money from your purchase comes back to support. The Just Basketball Show, so please go and do that. We're going to start today uh, by talking about five forgotten NBA storylines that will matter for next season. Later, we are going to talk about winning time. The HBO show is back and kind of picked up where it left off in a lot of ways. Uh, and also More insanity. Doing, doing a little bit of some different things I will talk about. I, I've enjoyed the first three episodes that are that are out as of now. Uh, I think particularly the last one was... was was interesting and how it felt very different from the rest of the series to me in a lot of ways. But Brennan, let's start with some forgotten storylines. I we have a, a list of five here. You know, we have them kind of one, two, three, four, five. I, I think we should I think what we should do is we should each nominate one and kind of go back and forth until we finish. Cool. Um, I'm gonna let you start. Pick pick which one you want to start with. Let's start with two people Two people's teams. These superstars have been very much in the spotlight. 2019, numbers one and two overall in the draft. But uh, teams around them that I've gone under the radar a little bit. And that is, of course, the the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Zion Williamson, John Morant, for their off-court antics, uh, let's say, have been talked about a ton. But when we really think about last season... Both of these teams had incredible first halves and were at the top of the NBA 
before things went south between Jaws suspension. The Grizzlies were coming back down to earth a bit before that, and then obviously Zion's injury. But they were both top three in net rating through December 31st, basically top 10 teams on both offense and defense. So what can we learn from that, Chris? What do you think is real from how those teams started the season? Is it just about John Zion? What do you think about when we do try to put ourselves in like Thanksgiving 2022 mode in the Western Conference? I think I think both of these teams, not just this upcoming season, Brennan, but in the coming years, have a chance to just be among the, the, the perennial league best if things break right for them. This year, teams last year that even with, we look at the struggles, we're looking at them not accomplishing anything in the playoffs last year. These are teams that had you know, based on the cleaning the glass numbers had some of the best net ratings in the entire league for the entire year. Memphis, Memphis was third in the league in point differential behind Boston and Cleveland. They were ahead of Milwaukee. They were ahead of Philly. They were ahead of Denver. Ever heard of the Denver Nuggets? Won the championship. New Orleans was 10th. Ahead of Toronto, Phoenix, Chicago, Brooklyn. So they're like a little more lumped in with a little more, eh, are we sure about this? Notably also both the teams well ahead of the Miami Heat who uh, were 20th in net rating in the regular season last year. It's just a reminder of how uh, unprecedented their run to the finals was in a lot of ways. Yeah. What I tend to think, I, I think my answer for these teams is a little bit different. I think with the job part sure. of it, we just need to see, like, is this the last incident or not? And maybe, like, he actually does grow up. Maybe this, this suspension does send a message to him in his whole wider circle. We kind of also just know that, like, when he's out there, he's going to be pretty healthy so far, and he's going to be awesome, and that organization is really well run, and all of these things are just going to click. And, like, I don't have a lot of doubts about that if he doesn't do anything that we really can't control. The Zion thing, I think, is the much bigger risk of this. If he plays, that's a top what how, top seven offensive player, top five offensive player, something outrageous if he's healthy and, and ready to go and playing a full season. Defensive, we'll see ultimately where that ends up. Got to have Ingram healthy as well. I think they have the right mix of a lot of other, you know, I, th- I think Trey Murphy is like going to be one of the, the obvious breakout candidates of next year. I think he's going to be a name you hear a lot about in your dorkiest season NBA previews, probably on this one, honestly. I think both have these really strong chances to be awesome. I think the Memphis one feels a little bit more stable if I had to just bet on which one I think had a better chance of working out. The Zion thing is still just the ultimate mystery to me. I have, I don't think you can... I, I reasonably just don't know how you pr- prognosticate what Zion is going to be at this point. Sure. I guess to me, the, the the one of the things that I think contributes to some of the stability differences that that you're kind of talking about is that the Grizzlies are, 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 I think, looked at it as a team that drafts really well because they hit on Bain, because, you know, even in a 2018 draft that a couple teams might may have some regrets about and, and was stacked, but also really kind of disorganized at the top, they ended up with Jaron Jackson, who they feel awesome about and should. But they're not an amazing drafting team at least in terms of sure things. They don't have a lot on their roster that would make you feel great, I think, about their ability to weather the storm this season while Jaw is out and Tyus Jones is gone, let alone about what their future could look like when they can't necessarily afford to have high-paid 
rotation players, role players like Smart and Adams and, and Luke Kennard and those guys. So you just, how many of, like, do we feel good about any of these Grizzlies role players between, like, to turn into starters, to turn into fringe all-stars? I mean, anything. To even be productive and, and solid. Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, um, you know, Xavier Tillman has already sort of developed, I would say. Uh, David Roddy, who did not look great in the playoffs. That's the concern. And I think you look at the bottom of the Pelicans roster, and Trey Murphy's a good example, but obviously Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels and some of these other players, you feel very good that they're going to slot right in. So I think setting aside the obvious question marks around Zion and, and Ja, the fact that I would say we've... Is it fair to say we've seen the Grizzly, uh, we've seen the Pelicans play better without Zion than we have the Grizzlies play without Jaw? Yes, but I, and I think you can probably attribute some of that to Brandon Ingram. No, I think Ingram would deserve credit if we're having that conversation. Sure, At least but Desmond healthy. Bain and Jaron Jackson are both max players too. You know. Yeah, I, I think that I think well, I think the difference with those two is. Ingram can Ingram has looked very comfortable as like a very high end number one who's going to be like awesome if he ends up being a number two, right? I think if you look at the what what is lack, I I think Triple J is phenomenal. I think he deserved a defense player of the year last year. All of that stuff. He has an offensive game. I can't wait to see what it looks like while Jaws out those first twenty five games. That's one of the early season storylines. I'm most interested in to see what kind of progress he makes coming off of Team USA this summer. By the way, we'll be talking about FIBA and the World Cup and Team USA and all of that later this week, so tap in for that. They don't have, like, the lead kind of creator just to absorb some of that. So, like, Bain is, is like, a fun max guy. Like, when I say fun max, it is the Brian Windhorst definition of fun max. Like, it is yeah. the first max. He's not, like, a real... Like, I, I would be pretty surprised if he ends up being, like, a max max guy on that next contract. That would feel a little crazy to me yeah i think where we're i think the difference there is just that ingram can be this thing that triple j and and bain aren't exactly it doesn't mean they're not really good impactful players triple j i think is all-star caliber but it's not kind of the traditional lead option that that ingram can step up and be for these teams are either of these guys to you the kind of sleeping giants of the future of the NBA that we thought, or have both of these teams taken a hit in that kind of pecking order because of the superstars questions? Like do, when you think about the future of the NBA, are you thinking the Pelicans and Grizzlies are going to be dominating it? Or are you kind of at a question mark with both at this point? I think they're both a little bit question marks. I think they, I think it's, I think Memphis just again, would I would say, like, I mean, even if Ja is around and isn't getting himself suspended and getting himself into situations he shouldn't, there is, like, the point of attack defensive liability concern with them as with him as well, just based on his size of playing point guard. I think that's something you have to consider. Um, I think on the on New Orleans side, it's just you haven't seen it all come together in a way that would lead you to kind of predict that it's going to be there. Like, there's 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 a lot to love. And, there's all, and, like, they both have assets to play with if they want to still is the other part of this that is is interesting right like someone one of these teams could go make uh, a probably more new orleans with the on picks i think they have just a bigger cachet of, of picks at this point bigger yeah. a bigger stockpile of picks but like they could go make a move and change our projection into this but i think it's telling that i think both these teams maybe still feel one kind of all-in consolidation big trade away yeah from really maximizing that i think that is that to me is telling about how i'm thinking about them that's i think the the kind of craziest part of this and i think where the 
In, I mean, Jaw was also injury prone prior to the off court stuff, but now you add that into it. Not injury prone in a major way, but obviously in the playoffs has, has been out in previous years. So it's just crazy that four years in, it still feels like they're unfinished products. It still feels like we don't, we know CJ McCollum's probably not going to be on the Pelicans when they're at their best. We know the Grizzlies, Marcus Smart's probably not quite their all in move yet. They still have one to make. We don't know exactly which of the young role players are going to be where they need to be. And that's kind of time doesn't slow down for all that stuff. You got to start making contract decisions. The Pelicans already had to give Herb Jones a big contract. Trey Murphy will be not long after that. The Bain contract already happened. And meanwhile, we still don't really know. Like the Grizzlies are this more identity, have a better identity, have a, a stronger identity, but they can't score in the half court in the playoffs. And then the Pelicans, it's like you feel good about their offense, but their two best players have never played together. And their defense with those guys on the court is probably always going to be a question mark. I think the infrastructure in both situations is good. They both have a number one player, a coach, a GM that you feel pretty good about. It's just a whole lot of uncertainty around that for those exact reasons. So I just am fascinated by the version of the season that could have happened if that stuff didn't happen. We would know a lot more about these teams and they might have faced off in like the conference finals for all we know. But instead, it's another, you know, stopped and started year and another offseason where it's just kind of a big shrug. Yeah, and I, and I think when you have that stop and start, I don't know. I think that that's almost harder to evaluate for team executives and coaches and, and us in the media than it would be if they were full strength and, and made a run or made a were full strength and got beat down or had like even like an Atlanta Hawks esque conference finals run where they just kind of like things broke their way and you can kind of you could still pick and pick at the cracks a little bit and say okay I know they did this good for them but it took like Ben Simmons like not shooting at the rim and playing the Knicks in the first round and beating them and like it you could understand the circumstances that got you there yeah there's like there, floor there's or a, ceiling right no there there's a real lack of clarity in both of these situations. And I think that that makes them incredibly interesting. It makes them, if you're working on those teams, it probably makes sure it make keeps you a little bit up late at night more than you'd like to be. Yeah. Who, right. who, if I had to ask you right now, Brennan, which one of these would you feel more confident in for next, for, for next season to make some kind of run? I can't quit the Pelicans. I feel like the fact that if here, let me put it this way. Zion's health is a massive question mark. But it is a question mark that if it works out, then I don't have any more questions. Yeah. The Grizzlies, we've, we know what their weaknesses are. And so even if Jaw comes back and even if they kind of hit their ceiling as a team, there are limitations there. Whereas I feel like the way that the Pelicans have been built and Zion's talent the kind of the sky is the limit. It's just about everybody being around to like get there together. Whereas the Grizzlies, I think I just have more basketball questions. Yeah, I think I think I agree, even if I think I'm a little lower on the Pelicans than you just because I, I I'm an anxious person and I would I just would like to like know that I was getting something out of Zion if I was gonna bet on them in some way. Yeah, I mean. that scares. That scares. That just scares me. Uh, Brennan, I, let's go to let's go to the Milwaukee Bucks next. This is going to be my first one. This is one I put in there, so I feel like I should I should probably fall on the sword on this one a little bit. So they had the, the cleaning the glass has this tracks like expected win differential based on their net ratings, and they had the best 
expected win differential in the league at plus 6.1 per hundred possessions last year. The next best team had plus 3.8. Net rating was a little bit lower, but they just had like a, a, a much, they just were expected to win more games than the numbers say they should. They still have Giannis. We'll see what he looks like coming off the knee surgery, obviously. They brought back Middleton. They brought back Drew. I think the, the, the Adrian Griffin hire has been, is been pretty well received by most people, and we'll see how he actually looks. And obviously, they're absolutely, as we saw with Darvin Ham last year, probably will be some kind of adjustment period to someone stepping into that role for the first time. I'm not saying there aren't concerns. I'm not saying this is going to last a long time. I don't know if this is going to be a, a two-year window for them with this group, or if this is the last year with this window, considering the ages. Mm-hmm. But are, are we sure that maybe like last year was just like weird and they might just not be fine this year? Is that is that unreasonable for me to just kind of think that if I'm baking and thinking about the Bucks for next season? Yeah, I think there is a version of this team every year that can win the championship until we see otherwise. Until age actually turns into a downward slide for these players until an injury hits that you can't come back from like the age question, the downward trajectory stuff is all just because of the number next to their name on like the official roster that they put out on their website and whatnot. You know, it, it Brooke Lopez had the best season of his career last year. You could make an easy case. Drew holiday mm-hmm. probably had at least offensively the best season since he was like a sixer and Chris Middleton is a massive question mark, but played better in the playoffs than I think people will remember. And also better than I think you would have expected based on how much time he missed in the regular season. So if you're telling me that foursome is even close to what they were when last year ended, basically, I, of course I'm going to feel great. And they have enough in the way of role players between Connaughton and Portis and Grayson Allen and they re-signed Jay Crowder. Maybe Adrian Griffin will actually play him and uh, Marjan Bochamp, who, you know, people feel differently about had a, a good start to summer league, had a down ending to summer league, but is a promising sort of possible shooter score guy who has size. Like that's nine players. Maybe I trust eight of them and, or that's 10 players. Maybe I trust eight of them. Yeah. They could win the championship, and they were great in the regular season. I thought Giannis could have and maybe should have been the MVP. So, yeah, but those questions aren't ignorable, I guess, is no. the factor. So, to me, it's much less about the Heat series. I could really care less. Crazy stuff happens to good teams. It's more about they lost one more year where they were set up for success and they weren't able to win the title last year. And there's only so many shots when you are the one seed and you are relatively healthy heading into the postseason, and your best player is at an MVP level and they botched one of them. Yeah. I have the, I have two sides of my brain pulling at, pulling at me here. It's, I think that the, the, the numbers, I think a lot of the, the just understanding of what these players are and where they're at tells you that I think this is probably going to be okay. That this is well, what does okay year? mean? I think you should say that because they I, were okay I, last okay. year. They were the number one seed, so of course it I can think okay, be okay in that sense. Like I think, I think okay is that like they have a very similar year to last year and they make the conference finals at the very least. Like I think that just feels like just kind of there, right? Like I just kind of yeah. like 
that just feels very plausible to me. What what there's also they would have beaten the, the Knicks in the second round, right? Like if they didn't crap the bet against Miami, they were going to beat the Knicks in the second round. They would have beat the Cavs in a different reality. Like they, it's just that weird matchup for them. And so I yeah I I agree with you. Yeah, like things just got like things. Sports get weird. The beauty of sports is that they get chaotic. We'll talk about this in winning time because there is a very, there is a historic loss that is covered in the early part of the season of winning time. Like this has happened in all sports. It's happened in the NBA for as long as the NBA has been around and has had playoff runs. The other part of me is just like staring like at the the age cliff that is coming for this organization that they're going to have to grapple with in some way. And my question with it is just, does it happen in a way that it comes before they can plan for it or like pivot or does it just happen and screw them? And like, do they just miss their last opportunity before we even know it? That's where like the two sides of my brain are, are pulling at each other a little bit. Brendan. Let me ask you this because a lot of the injury stuff and health stuff is boring content because it's just a, yes. a bunch of, I don't knows. Not that you're doing that, but that's the other direction we could go. Instead, I want to propose a, a hypothetical to you because I put this out on Twitter around the time of, of kind of the... You mean the, X? The, yes, on the, in the bulk of free okay. agent time of why did the Bucks not do something? And somebody was like, well, what could they have done? And I think that was kind of the general uh, observation around their summer is what were they really able to do? What were they supposed to do? One, I would have explored a sign and trade for Middleton, but I get kind of politically that guy's been around. He helped turn everything around for you, played incredibly in the 2021 finals, just kind of tossing him to the side because he had some injury problems. Not great. He's only 32. So whatever. But the other one was pretty reasonable. I don't think you want to trade Bobby Portis because you don't have any other bigs on this roster, but you could have at least explored some combination of Connaughton, Allen, and Beauchamp, and they have their 28, 20, and 2029 firsts because they're now past all the picks they gave up for Drew. So that could have gotten you something. That's like $20 million in salary. Maybe if it's a bigger player, you could give up Portis and, and have a little more options there. And then Beauchamp is somewhat of an interesting young guy and, and probably one first round pick is what you're talking about. That that could have gotten you a player, and they didn't do that. Would you have thinned out even more and given up kind of your one or two real assets in Bochamp in that first-round pick if it meant getting a younger, solid starter? Probably, but I would, like, it's, like, hard to sometimes say these things without knowing the exact player. Like, $20 million is just a different rate than it was. I mean, they got, here's some of the guys in the 20 ish million range. It's like Bogdan Bogdanovich. It's OG Anunoby who you're not going to get. I mean, Marcus Smart's at 18. Um, do you, you don't really have a need for Smart when you have Drew, I would argue. You know, Joe Harris in the last year of his deal, eh. Um, DeAndre Hunter, like, are we, like Lonzo Ball, and he had some comments this week that he's definitely out this year, and it just, it's a real bummer. Like, you weren't getting Mikhail Bridges. Like, I finding that player, I think, is it, that is a great idea in practice, and I think it's harder in... Yeah. It's a great idea in theory. It's harder in practice to find the right player at that. Like $20 million, the reality is $20 million doesn't go as far as it did like two years ago. And I think that's that's that probably complicates this. Sure. And everybody wants $20 million good players who are young, you know. But yeah, yeah I guess they've been connected to both Bogdanoviches for a long time. And uh, those could have been options. Not like those are making so or breaking good. things. And the older one is like in his mid-30s at this point. So he's not exactly 
checking the box that I'm trying to get them to, to, to acquire. Marcus Smart went for two firsts, so you're probably not getting him either. Yeah, maybe there wasn't a trade, but uh, we didn't even hear that, that they were exploring something like that. So it tells me that they weren't really looking and they do want to run it back and they might come to regret that. But to your point, they were set up for success heading into the postseason and they hit a matchup that's been their bugaboo in the past. So we'll see if playing not the Heat uh, helps them, I guess. Would, would Buddy Heald have moved the needle for you at all with them? Not really, because he's similar enough. He's obviously a much better shooter than Connaughton or Allen, but but same concerns. What's yeah. the difference, really? You know, and then those it's, guys are better it, yeah. defenders. Yeah, that's I had the same thought. Even if I would like look at that and be like, "Ooh, the shooting," but then you like think about it for a couple seconds and you walk it back. All right, uh, Brent, let's go to your next one. Yeah, let's talk about the Utah Jazz. And the storyline here is that they jump-started their rebuild before they really even began rebuilding. They obviously traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert heading into the season, ended up with all these rotation players. We thought at the beginning of the year, are they going to bench these guys? Are they going to have a lot of DNP rests going on? Are they going to trade them all as soon as they possibly can? They sort of picked a middle ground. They traded some of them. They rested some of them. But for the most part, they just moved forward they had a good coach and I think more importantly than maybe than any of that in terms of the future and really the team building side aside from having the the top 10 offense and and all the the breakout players that they had was Larry Markinen became a bonafide all-star mm-hmm. top 20 and estimated plus minus at dunks and threes like that is you know reliable like you're talking about one of the best guys in the NBA at that point Still just 25 somehow. That doesn't feel possible, but it's true. And suddenly feels like a guy who can be like, I mean, what, the second best player on a championship team? Third? What do you think? I I think it, it could be second. I don't think first. No. I, I, I think like I, I think first is a little high, but he's added so much. I think he's going to fit with whatever they decide to do. I think they got a rookie center for really cheap who's going to fit with whatever they want to do as well in Walker Kessler. They have... I think the coach part of it and Will Hardy is is one of the more fun parts of it just because like you have this guy who's going to really develop talent and it doesn't feel like they're in a rush either. Like This isn't a team that we heard anything about maybe them like going all in on something this summer because they have all these picks and, and feel like they're ready to go. I think they're... They understand their market. They understand kind of what they have in terms of their young guys. And I think the marketing part of it does probably paper over a little bit. The fact that they're still searching for like another really good young guy. Like I think this team is really well coached, but I don't think we necessarily look at this roster and say, you know, it's overloaded with like a future. Also, like I, I like Ochai Um, I think he showed a lot towards the end of the year that I think he's going to be a solid NBA wing. I don't think that's like an all-star level guy. I I think Colin Sexton is like undervalued in a lot of ways. They've there, but there's been talks about them trading him. And like, I still think none of those guys are like, yeah, going to be better than Lowry any at any point. So no, like he's not like Jack Jack Collins is. Yeah, and Jack Collins is better. Is better than Lowry Barkin. And so it's just like he's not your number one. Then they need that. Yeah, they need that number one. They need to hit on some picks. They need to find a trade in some way. They need some lottery luck. I don't think it's going to be a trade, if I'm being honest. I agree. Because, because they're, this who's going to stay? This is, well, this isn't, a, yeah, this isn't a franchise that unless, like, this is not a franchise that can trade for someone and then, like, keep them or has, has enough, like, 
let's use, I guess Cleveland to me would be the point of comparison here because Cleveland trades for Mitchell and there's risk that Mitchell's just going to walk, right? That they might lose him for nothing at some point. That That's a possibility that he doesn't want to stay. But they have Garland and they have Mobley. They have these two other things that are sitting there. There's not prospects the caliber of Garland and Mobley sitting there if they went to trade for a Donovan Mitchell-level player and then that guy walks in two years. They don't have that insulation, which is kind of... And it, I, I mean, are we just like, are they just like, hey, let's, can we get Cooper Flag in two years? Like, is is that like what, I mean, that, that is that it? Like, is that kind Why of the answer Why have we not heard more about these between the Thunder and the Rockets and I, whatever the Nets, I guess, kind of are in there now, whoever you want to say, that are bowling over whoever has like a number one, two, three pick? If, I don't know. Like the fact that we, I, we I, heard that I one thing with Cade where the Thunder had reportedly some interest, but it would have included Shea, and I'm not even really sure that was real. Um, But, like, why... Well, this year year was a Why not do that? Do they just not have the leverage? That's what I've always assumed is, like, the teams are just like, no, you know, we're not... We're not playing your game. We're not going to allow you who, you know, won the Gobert and Mitchell trades by so much to just, like use that to blast off into outer space and be a great team again like that that's we're not going to facilitate that for you but that's kind of the move i would think for utah well and maybe maybe this upcoming year the 2024 class that's not considered to be as good of a class maybe that's like maybe that's where maybe this happens like it was never going to happen with victor Wembanyama. no but couldn't it have happened with scoot couldn't you have moved to three yeah, I mean, I that that gets into like a Dame Lillard like web of yeah, confusion. yeah. But you get my point. Like, I obviously you're not gonna get a up. Nobody, it's priceless. The Wemby pick. There's no, there's no. It's not up for sale. But like, yeah, it maybe in 2024, if somebody solidifies themselves as number one, maybe you can get the number two guy. It's yeah, just well, surprising like, we don't hear more reporting around that at the time of these drafts because I think that's the the play for a team like this who isn't going to sign or acquire a big name organically like that. They're going to have to make it happen and draft them and then hope they stay. Yeah. And I think you would also would just need a team that like would have incentive to like, maybe like get a bunch of picks. Like I could see the bulls as a team. If the bulls took like a big step back this year and had to reset like a forced reset, maybe they're like, Hey, let's just get a bunch of picks for like the third overall pick. I think you need like sure. a team that is incentivized to like really be open to that path, and I think the teams that we've seen of late maybe just haven't been. Like I think it also just seemed like like Portland is a as a point here just like really wanted Scoot and was just like okay we're just gonna take him. But like mm-hmm. if if Houston next year, well Houston's not a good example. Um, there's not actually like a good example in the West. It's really like the Bulls like, or like the Raptors. Yeah, I mean I guess the the thing this year was the Jazz had those two uh, lottery picks and they yeah their own pick was fairly high, so it wasn't really, like, that big of a difference. But, like, couldn't they have traded the six where Orlando was or something, you know? Yeah. It, it just, it's surprising that we don't see it more. It's a very NFL-ish thing, but we're seeing these teams have a surplus of picks, and as the Thunder are already showing us, you can't just roster those guys forever. You got to make your move at some point. And I think, to me, them playing so well this year and, and having Markkanen, especially well, right mean, now where he's on a value contract, it's like... Move some chess pieces around. See what you can I mean, do. even even getting Collins is a sign that you're like a little bit serious about it. So if you don't trade for John Collins, who's like a little bit older and like all like you don't trade for him unless you're 
like I understand you got him for like peanuts, but that to me that's like we know we don't have a blue chip young guy who we want to give the keys to, so we want our middling young guys to have structure. We want to keep having a real team, right? Because Abaji's not good on a bad team, and Kessler isn't really valuable on a bad team. So now we're kind of we have to keep taking the middle. And it's a thin rope to walk, I guess. But Danny Ainge is good at this, so we'll see. Yeah, the picks thing is just like a, all these teams. I just wonder at some point if they just have to be like, we'll give you eight picks for a guy that it's just. Like We're gonna see weird. a trade like that. We have to. Someone shoot it for OJ and Obi to really complete the circle. Is the thing? Sure, do it for like gri- whoever. Do it for Mikhail Bridges. Right. Whatever, like the Grizzlies were trying to do. I mean, whatever it is, just. Make one of them because honestly, if you move first, you'll probably benefit. Yeah, I I think I think the Jazz should do something like that. I think the question is like, would you want it to be? A, I I kind of want it to be a guard. I just think the question is, who's the guard? And the thing is, yeah, you don't want somebody who's already too expensive. You don't want somebody who's already too old. You don't want Maybe, somebody who's yeah. fully about to be a free agent. Like you just start to okay, okay, what? Like, who are we really talking about? Maybe Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> no, he's about to hit free agency, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't have a good answer. Like, um, yeah, I, it's that that trade matchmaker next trade deadline. If they haven't done something, we should just do a whole episode on the teams with lots of picks. All right, Brendan, uh, let's go to let's do. We got two more. Let's get through these quickly so yeah. we can talk about winning time. Yeah, they're quick ones. Oh, wait, you want me to do uh, the new transition? Yeah, yeah, take yeah. fouls worked. The yes, new rules 100%. worked. Uh, I think anyone who watched basketball could agree with this, but also the stats back it up. For anyone who did not remember or needs a reminder, they used to treat them normally. Now they treat them like basically technical fouls with the free throw and possession. And they're tracked on playbyplaystats.com now. There were 212 called this past year. And it wasn't tracked previously because it wasn't, really thought about that much but the nba itself reported when they changed the rule in order to like emphasize why it was so important that 21 22 season there were 1700 of them called (laughs) so we had one ninth of the amount of these things one eighth of the amount of these things called chris based on this rule so to me resounding success did you feel like you continued to notice it throughout the season or did you just get used to it and move on i got used to it and felt like it was always there and that that's the sign of something that just should have been a thing this is one of those things that was just so obvious take fouls there's a couple other things that they could do but this is one of those things that to me it's just like this is so obvious should have just done it the game's better for having this in there it's a real real win we've talked about this already but do you think with some time to sit on it that the flop rule changes will work similarly well that it'll take and just pun intended and then be like it always was that way? Or do you think there's going to be more growing pains? Cause this one, I, I agree. Like team guys like tried it at the beginning of the year and they're like, Oh shit, you're really going to call that. All right. never mind. I think it's growing pains with the flops because it, it is, there is some more like gray area and this is very cut and dry. Although you, <laughs> you wouldn't know it from some of the reviews we still had on this one. Look, here's the thing. 
I I really feel for refs because I think they just take everyone's shit and it's like not fair what a, a lot of the time. You're being a cop. You're being a fed. Um yeah. Tough tough. No, look but for you're me right. right now. I mean, you're right. And I think like the flopping they, thing like, is much more subjective. Yeah. You know, I you're gonna but you are just gonna see ones that are just like there are just the ones, especially when you slow them down. Here's the here's the thing. There's both this thing where it's like I think you're gonna be able to review some of them and on one hand you're gonna be able to fix it, and on the other hand, my other big gripe with the NBA that isn't really a problem with the WNBA is that sometimes they drag the game out with replays. Yeah, they don't do that in the WNBA, but the refs are bad, so I, I honestly win, I win might, lose. I I'd prefer like slightly like worse refing instead of games where I have like a 10 minute fucking replay in the last three minutes. It's like the worst thing in the world. It takes all of the air out of the arena when you're in a close game and it could be any time of the year. And it's like, all right, we're going to have 10 minutes on this review. And I'm just like, come on, man. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's, it's bad. Um, tough. All right. Last one. Last one. Shaden Sharp, Shaden Sharp is, finally, is here. finally here. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing with Shaden Sharp for me, Brennan. 19-5-3 started. He's going to start all year for Portland. He is one of the many reasons that if I'm Portland, I just think I want to get this damn thing done. I want to let Shaden explore his limits, explore his new reality, explore a new proving ground. Like... That is a real benefit of actually moving on from Dame is that you're going to get to let Shaden Sharp like really play a ton of minutes and figure himself out and make mistakes and learn and grow. That is going to be good for him. And as much as they're maybe not going to get the blue blue chip guy back that I think they would like, I think they have there's a blue chip guy staring them in the face right here if if and when this Dame thing goes down. Yeah, uh, you mentioned nineteen five and three as a starter. He was also uh, at fifty five percent true shooting as a starter, and that's not just at the end of the season. I mean, granted, he had like three games in November where he started and was actually pretty good in those too. I, it felt like he's one of those guys as he got more minutes, he played better, and that's surprising, but also not surprising just because that happens with a lot of players. But when you think that he missed his first year, at Kentucky, his only year at Kentucky too. Um, that's just a pretty raw player. So to be able to step in and do anything close to what he did, I'm going to take that seriously, even if it was not always competitive basketball. He shot 67% at the rim, 37% from three, and just physically, obviously, is sort of exactly what teams want in the modern NBA. Who would you bet on reaching higher heights in their NBA careers between him and Scoot? Like, which one of them Scoot. to you is, like, the bigger Scoot. prize? Scoot. Hmm. It's not close for me. I, just, I adore Scoot. I'm just in, like, Scoot, like, it's not staking, like, any, like new ground, but I think Scoot Brennan is on the Just Basketball Guys patent pending list. Like, he, he is there. Scoot's 6'2". Shaden is 6'6". I, I, I just, I just, something about Scoot really just just works for me. Well, you know what's a good thing? They have Not them both. Being taller. They have them both. Here's the can I here's my here's my one sharp question. Uh Blazer's Edge, the SB Nation blog had a post. I was doing this like some Shane Sharp reading. They had a breakdown of his positions, which I you know, positions can fluctuate. Some of this data is imperfect. They had per the data they pulled, it was sixty one percent of his time at the two, thirty percent of his time at the three, and nine percent of his time at the one. 
what position do you think he ends up as? Just a wing. I mean, you know, Jalen Brown type of two, three, probably can yeah. defend one through three, maybe can defend one through four, depending on who you're talking about. Offensively is not going to be an on-ball guy, but if, if he can keep shooting and finishing, then who cares what position he is offensively, you know? So, yeah, some that, that type of role. I do want to see him, Simons, and, and Scoot all start together. As defensively porous as that will be, would be so fun. Yeah, Simons might not be long for the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, I'm. Which, like, honestly, I'm okay with that if I'm them. Sure. Yeah, you. I mean, that's an awesome pick, and he's paid properly. I would say, like, he's paid a lot of money, but he's a good player, and you can probably turn that into something. Two firsts from the Utah Jazz. Probably not two, but it would be kind of funny to trade pick pick, a different Jazz scoring small scoring guard to the Jazz after the Dame stuff plays out, but. Yeah, I mean, this seems just fun. I mean, if they do have a future wing and a future point guard, like, they should probably just stop crying about the heat offer and move on with their lives, but... Yes, I agree. All right, let's move on to winning time. Uh, The HBO original series, you can watch it on Max Streaming. Um Unfortunate for the show, I it is it is one of the debuts during the writer's strike, so there's been very little, you know. Like I, I, I can I, you have a big question, I, and I think it's kind of related to to the question I'm gonna ask Brendan. I I just adore what Quincy Isaiah is doing playing Magic Johnson. This guy is so damn charismatic. He, I, I am really curious to see like where his career goes because I could you could see this being something where it's like he just kind of becomes Magic. But it, I think there's I know. just like a range. I was having the same worry. And I don't, I was, I, I don't I was on his I IMDb because I couldn't remember his name. I knew Quincy, but I oh, couldn't remember no. his last name. And I was trying to type it out on the, the outline. So I just went to search it. And I was like, what, is he, what else does he have going on? And I was like, uh, not a lot. I really hope this doesn't happen to him because he's super talented. It's not just that he can play magic well. He, he just charismatic. And he has a swagger to him. And he has like a charm. And yes, all those things are magic. But this dude's awesome. He is putting a like this show, like I, the the scenes with him and and Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley are just like Electric. catnip. For, these are catnip for me. Like my holy grail of NBA of NBA things that I would like to watch behind closed doors is practice and coaches actually talking to players in a more frank way. We never get to see it. We never will. Mm-hmm. One of the big things I'm jealous of NFL reporters of is that they get to go watch practice in the summer for like a month. Yeah. We don't get to do that. I That bums me out. Getting, but like, so getting even a fictionalized version of seeing Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson talking to Pat Riley. Adrian Brody. It's yeah. just, it, it's just like. I, that ice I, bath I, scene is just. It's so good. It was when, perfect. When, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's great, and I I think Quincy Isaiah at the center of the show, with the injury stuff this season, you know, with the the plot, uh, the the when he the ends the one episode and he looks at the camera when they break the the the, the wall kind of thing, and he's like, I hate me, and he's like, I say, he just says he hates Larry Bird, I fucking hate that guy, like this guy has just embodied this thing at the center of this story in a way that the show doesn't work without him at all like this is this is like a truly like to me like incredible performance from quincy isaiah doing playing and this, one of the most this like guy. And, I, and magic famous people ma- on the planet 
who now like who now just like uh is just like sending tweets that absolutely will never acknowledge that the show existed yeah and kareem like wrote an essay about how much he hated it which is like the same thing as you know him cursing everybody out um so let's just talk about this quote that I pulled, which is from uh, Israel Daramola at, at Defector, and he's been doing, I think he wrote about the show for them last year, and then he's a staff writer there now and did a big write-up on the whole season. Uh, he's seen all of it, I guess, so maybe things are going to change. But he wrote that it's hard to like Magic as a character this season if you have no prior relationship to the actual player. And I don't agree with that at all. I think he's does some detestable things and treats people... Not always great, but like the scene in this most recent episode, episode three, where uh, Jerry Buss invites him and Norm Nixon to have lunch with him. Magic is acting like a complete asshole in that episode, in that scene, and he like pulls the food out of Norm Nixon's off of his fork, and he's just like pacing the the room during them having the conversation. Like I'm not, I'm just kind of here for show. Like we all know how this is going to end up, you know. Like he's being a dick but i still just loved loved it like i'm still so drawn to it so i don't really agree with that that magic is sort of unlikable and kind of creates a negative energy in this season what do you think i think i think the way that he is carrying himself in like every walk of life from the 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 Norm Nixon thing, how he talks to Cookie. Yeah, that that's rough. There, that that is hard to get behind. I don't, I don't throw my support there. That I'll carve out an exception for those portions. The way that he treats Cookie is is rough, especially because that's his current wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, when she's like visualizing him, and it's not him, so it's not exactly him. But when they have him being like, guy, like some guys like to drink, some guys like to to do drugs i like to fuck and it's like okay it's like oh okay like we're, we're just gonna like this it's just like okay we get it it's not subtle winning time no, for this show's for, not subtle. oh it, it's not subtle i th- i think this is remi- i think this is this to me brings up the adam mckay question of this all because i think part of what adam mckay when he works I think he works because, like, he understands and leans into the fact that, like, the people that we are going to see in movies, see on screen, talk about forever, the athletes that we grew up watching, that he is a pro. I think around the like growing up, probably watching the Lakers and the Celtics and stuff. Mm-hmm. These people are not perfect; they are flawed, like the rest of us. And I think he understands it and wants to hammer it over your head. I think that's where this magic stuff comes in. But it's also like I kind of understand that. Like I, th- I think if you're Magic Johnson, I kind of understand how you end up like this. Sure, you know? but I, yeah, I, I think so. And I think the ethos too of the show, though, is kind of like none of this happens if they're not so flawed. None of this happens if there's not all this baggage and messiness and whatever. And I feel like if you really zoom out in the basketball of it, it's like this league doesn't get as popular as it is unless we feel that, you know. And yes the the celebrity nature of it like isn't possible unless we know the the drama unless we feel that actual connection to these guys and um yeah i i think well, adam mckay does a good job i i like the way that it's shot i like the way that it kind of like 
shows you that it's history, but also shows you that it's exaggerated history and that there's like a glitz to it kind of all at once. I think it's a little extra in a lot of moments, but if you kind of just let it hit you, I think it it it, it doesn't take me out of it. It doesn't feel like a problem, but it is ex- it is excessive still, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think about the, the scene that maybe encapsulates what I think you're hitting at if... There's the scene where Magic's going to come back from his injury. And the guy who works in the front office, we saw him in season one, I think, shows him the t-shirt. Yeah. And and he knows that in that moment, his after he sees how the guys are talking about him in the locker room and how he's kind of not being received well, he's like, get this the fuck out of here. I can't mm-hmm. have this, right? Then they, they cut. The cut of the shot is the shirt maybe going away, but then it's it's a woman in the crowd with the shirt on. It's this whole arena in that shirt. Yeah. And what the way they shoot the forum, by the way, yeah, beautiful. Well, the way they shoot the forum is very similar to how they shoot the 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 forum club, and that that is very intentional. That that is Uh that's intentional. There's there's a language they're trying to convey there. Um, but when when he comes out of the tunnel and he's smiling and he's like, it tells you what you need to know. It's like okay, he gets it. Like he he understands what this is in a way that maybe no one else really does. Yeah. So one of the things that I feel like, well, I have a few other questions before we get like too, too deep. Cause I have like a, a thematic thing that I want to get to, but, okay. um, basketball wise, I don't think I've ever seen a show or a movie that shoots basketball better than this. No, it's no, there's nothing close because it, 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 without shooting like elongated basketball scenes and like elongated gameplay, like aside from like some scuff and scrimmages that's like a couple minutes long like that's about as long as they shoot it because they know there's like a limit they shoot it like the camera is like a step behind someone running uh, down the court mm-hmm. like have you seen the videos from when season one was out of how yes. they do it yeah crazy yes it's it's amazing and it's this works because this i think you needed to shoot the like there are so many things about this show that don't exist if this exact style and team is doing it because the show part of the reason the game becomes popular and it explodes is because of the way they're playing you could only convey that i think if you shot it this way it's it feels like to me yeah it's it's the it's the same thing that they're trying to convey with the lighting and the kind of staticky shoot and everything that's showtime off the court showtime on the court has to come through too and that that has its own obviously kind of art to it too but i think the only other ones that come close are like one-on-one or like you know park street ball stuff but in terms of like competitive basketball i'm not even sure there's anything close like what what else would you even point to you know i I was gonna say i i I was gonna say the white men can't jump remake so (laughs) when they got jack harlow shooting hand wrong from beginning to end of film uh, yes. No, so yeah, I th- that that off the top, very good. Uh, Larry Bird, I think the actor that's playing him isn't as athletic as the others. I don't know if you've noticed, but the cuts are a little more yeah. dramatic with him. They don't ever actually show him doing anything. They show him making a move, and then it's always a cut to the back of his head in some kind of way. Yes. Whereas the Kareem and Magic guys can play basketball. I think a um, little rough. Speaking of yeah, real Quint, quick. Uh, Quincy Isaiah, and I think the other guy's name, I think he's like a doctor of acting. Yeah, Solomon Hughes. Mm-hmm. He is a... Uh, Kareem, yeah. 
Yeah, he's six he's six eleven in real life, which which helps. They got very and lucky. He, there. They got very lucky, and he is um, he has a he has a PhD in acting from the University of Georgia, I believe. Very impressive. Uh, what do you, what would you have thought of Bo Burnham in the Larry Bird role? By the way, because that was the original <laughs> casting. Um, I would just be wondering where Phoebe Bridgers was because I'm a sick person, Brendan. Yeah, I I don't think it would have worked. I'm glad that they picked no, I don't even Bo, know the actor who's playing Larry Bird, but I think that's better. No, but I Bo, Bo Burnham really would have took me out of it. I honestly here's uh, the, yeah. I love Bo Burnham. I I quite enjoy like his special that he did. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of those like uh, I'm of the age where like I saw him doing YouTube videos and stuff when I was sure. like 12. You were like six. Um, also a Bo Burnham fan, but came yeah, came yes. to it slightly later yeah. than that. Yes. Yeah. He. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just picturing Bo Burnham like walking in and telling his daddy dropped out. Or I actually can't picture Bo Burnham drinking like a can of Budweiser. No. It's just all <laughs> everything about it is is the wrong vibe, except for the fact that he's a tall blonde man. Everything else is a no. <laughs> Yeah, because he doesn't have, like, I, I'm just, I really just, like, now I just, I really can't picture him, like, playing, like, basketball with, like, guys, like, on, like, in, like, a dock area or something. Like, I, whatever that was. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you imagine uh, him doing a, another... a, a, the accent work, too? Is the, is the, like, like no. True. I'm, you got to have it. I need, okay. I hope I can find the screen test for this, actually. I hope someone puts it out there internet at some point. I would like to watch the screen test for him doing Larry Bird. Speaking of Bird and the dock and the whatever area of town and Red Auerbach coming to his house and that whole storyline from season three, the the biggest talking point about this show is the exaggerated history. And there's like 10 websites doing what really happened in this episode of Winning Time articles every week when these episodes come out. I don't mind it whatsoever. I feel like the Riley Magic like ice bath scene that we were talking about to me that's a perfect example of how it can work where it's like we don't really know but you can like create an affectation to evoke what probably those conversations were like um but i think the one area that it struggles that it that it doesn't hold up to me is when it gets like very interpersonal and like very character driven about stuff that we really don't even know anything about like for instance jerry bus with his girlfriend in this most recent episode or like the stuff with kareem and his wife there's just some mm-hmm. where it gets it gets a little rough and i don't love it but like when things are just ratcheted up to 12 for no reason i think that makes it better i, I don't have an issue with it at all if anyone's dumb enough to think this is a, a like a docuseries then that's on them yeah they haven't consumed adam mckay before they haven't watched his uh what is it the the dick cheney movie that he did vice yeah and the big short yeah yeah they they didn't uh his last movie like what what's the the kareem actually i remember yeah movie's bad don't watch it very bad very bad movie with a really good cast but like this is what adam mckay does like even he he did I don't know if you've listened to it, Brendan, but he did. He has a, a podcast that's not like the Death on this series. The first season was Death on the Wing. That was about cocaine. Like he clearly has a fascination mm-hmm. with this because it was about cocaine in the eighties. The second yeah. one is about is about it's called Death on the Lot. It's about like deaths in Hollywood. Um, would highly recommend that. That's I thought that was like the best thing he's done in a long time. If I'm being honest, I I the, Adam McKay like exists to just sort of I think 
turn things up in that way. And it's like even some of the locker room interactions, it's just like those feel turned up. Even the the Pat Riley, Paul Westhead, like Pat Riley betraying him and Jason Siegel, like then the next season, like I brought in the assist. Oh, my other, like it, even that feels turned up in like a very like, it's like part Shakespeare, part like <laughs> we needed yeah. to fill some tension here. That's like it, 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 there's there's something in that that felt very like keyed up in a way. That it's also is, just so harmless. I think that's why it doesn't bother me. Is it's like we're yeah. not doing this about like you know our founding fathers. <laughs> like it's 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 Magic Johnson. Like as long as you're not going to get a libel lawsuit for HBO, I it's just it's sports. Like I also I, I I will say if Pat you know the scene where uh, Paul West said. Jason Segel comes to the pool and like is dressing nice and Pat Riley still isn't dressing nice. There's just no way Pat Riley wasn't pulling off fits his whole life. That man has fashion just in his bones. You can't convince me otherwise. Oh yeah. No, that's that's not a There's no way. There's no way this man was ever ever dressed in schleppy. That that's that's my critique with history. So you have some Celtic stuff that we definitely can uh get to, but I have one one more question. Yeah. Which character comes away looking the worst? Um, so far, is it not Matt? Is it not Jerry? It's Jerry Busser magic. I think. I kind of think it's Paul Westhead. Y- yeah, I I think if I'm Jason Siegel's playing him like such like a like a baby, a dipshit. Like a, he's yeah, just like, like a, like a child, an insecure yeah. baby, you know. Yeah, I I think I think if you incorporate season one. I think it it is magic or Jerry Buss just because like the the behavior towards women is just like <laughs> it's 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 I mean I you know I'm who the real gonna... answer is actually I think it's the the Bus Brothers, <laughs> which like real life has made them look pretty bad as well. Yeah, but. yeah, but it's it's really like for for foreshadowing that Genie's just going to fucking shit on them forever that like they're they have they have no sway in the organization, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they like how this show portrays them. I actually feel like Genie like- Bus probably would love this show. She looks great. She's like the one yeah. hero of the whole show. <laughs> Her and uh, the the office man, the it's well, it's like the women in the. It's like Molly Gordon, whose character's name I can't remember, uh-huh. is like is like kind of like an additive in like her little thing, and then uh, and Gabby the, Hoffman, the v, and Gabby Hoffman. Those are the three yeah. that kind of come across like and Cookie, honestly, for the most part, like comes across okay. Like Magic's parents, I think, are winners. They're great. Yeah. The actors are great. Yeah. They they tend to try to shout keep out them Rob on Morgan, course. man. Yeah. yeah. Um. Paul Westhead's a really inspired answer on your part. Um, Phoenix Mercury WNBA champion Paul Westhead, by the way, but in this show, not yeah, great. The uh, lo- low-key dark horse answer, is it Norm Nixon? Norm Nixon has that moment in the first season, though, where he, he gets to own magic on the playground, which is a thing that absolutely did never happen in a million <laughs> years. But I mean, you mean there wasn't there wasn't a, the there wasn't a game of blowing him on on a, on a playground at a white party hosted by, at a hosted by a former Scratch Clippers under Donald Sterling. Yeah, I don't think so. That I that demands a whole like a whole episode of that's a case. But he he comes across like. Here's where I think the basketball stuff like fails a little bit. I don't think they actually properly like. I don't know how you would do this in a way that's like interesting to a viewer, but yeah. I don't think they quite uh, explain the ball handling friction between Norm Nixon 
and magic in a way that is like actually like helpful. They just expect you yeah. to understand that magic is Magic Johnson that Norm Nixon needs to shut the fuck up and get out of the way. Yeah, agreed. I actually think that they don't do a good enough job of like showing how incredible magic is. No. They not, talk it, about it, it a lot, but they don't yeah. have a way of being like I like obviously he has the baby hook in the last season that everybody knows, but they don't yeah that that's definitely is, true is there, it's almost like a co- have, it's like a stylistic coaching thing is the way that they end up kind of showing you that rather than the just system. being like yeah exactly yeah. rather than yeah. being like magic is doing this thing that no one else in basketball has ever done and he's so talented does, does, in this and this way does he have a scene that showcases how good he was at basketball in this turn time that's as cool as Larry Bird actually showing up in jeans and dropping like 40 points at at Indiana State after drinking no, two exactly. Bud and having like, it, you know, anytime they show Bird, it's like he's shit talking and whatever. Like you get the Larry Bird thing very quickly. Whereas Magic, it's like, it seems like all he ever does is make the coaches and Kareem mad. <laughs> like that's all that his and, basketball results in. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's a good way of so, putting it. Um, I kind of yeah, think maybe we should hold the Celtics stuff because I think it'll come more and we're going to talk about the show again. Yes, all I will say is that I think this was I think episode 3 was really necessary to actually tell the story in a, in a in a way. I really think it was necessary to do some of the Larry Bird stuff and do some of the Celtic stuff. If if they're going to pay this off as a as a we see we you know, and I I suspect unlike what they opened up season 1 with, which was Magic Johnson running out of the back of <laughs> of, a, of a clinic after being told he had AIDS or HIV. This season opens with the Lakers winning a game in Boston in the 84 finals. They run out of the arena. Notice who's not there, Norm Nixon. Yeah. Notice you see Cupcheck and all these names that you should know if you're paying attention to modern. They they pan on those jerseys. You see Don, the the Don version of Pat Riley gets on the bus in a black suit, gives a great speech, does some real Pat Riley shit. And then the Celtics fans throw a bunch of stuff at the bus and harass him all the way out of the arena. I suspect we're heading back there sooner rather than later. I feel like they're for they're foretelling that Norm Nixon, the Norm Nixon trade, all this stuff. Yeah, but he stays until uh, the '83 off season. I looked it up, so yes. we're like yeah, not did, even yeah. close to where he's actually going to leave the team. But it's funny. No, but it, but the end, the end of the end of three when he's like after Magic takes the pair off his fork, he's like, oh shit, I'm like he know like he know like he knows like he knows that this is going a certain way. Like he realizes yeah. it. Um, but the the Celtic stuff to actually flesh it out, I think, is really necess- is really necessary. So like I I loved, you know, I I don't know if the acting is on par with with some of the Lakers stuff, but I I en- I really really enjoyed and laughed a lot. And we'll go back and just watch the clip of Larry Bird showing up in the gym after drinking two Bud Lights and just putting buckets on dude in jeans. I think that was I, jeans I just in like a leather that. jacket, right? Isn't that yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, the thematic thing that I was going to talk about is the way that the show kind of does like its own storytelling around player empowerment and kind of the early days of that stuff and and like what who has power in basketball and all that. But we can do that when we when we return. I think comparing it to Air is like that that this Air could have just been an episode mm. of this of like the fourth season of this show. To be honest with you. Um, in terms of well, the things the, that they're it, talking it, about, it, like the 25 year deal with magic, like a lot of that stuff and them trying to get magic to come out 
and be okay being drafted by the Lakers in the first season when they meet with him at Michigan State and all that stuff. Like all those are very much ripped from the same type of you know style and vibe as what Air is doing. So I think we can have a conversation about that when we do the show, maybe at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it begs the question of like when they get to Michael. This decade is not Michael Jordan's decade. That's the '90s. But Michael Jordan at some point is going to. There's no way they're going to do like however many seasons of the show and they get through 1984 and they don't do some kind of Michael Jordan thing. And well, if this season ends in the summer of 84, then if they get a third season, we're already there. So, yeah, I, I hope so. But I really hope it gets another season. I hope Jeff Perlman seems a little panicked and I'm uh, I'm nervous. Yeah, he also had to go to the the hospital for. Did you see that he had to hit wig glue when he has his cameo and he had to go to the ER for a whole day because of it? No. Yeah, go to his Instagram. He he's a he's a wig he's got glue. a cameo in one of the episodes as a reporter and they put wig glue on his bald head. Uh, new fear unlocked for me as someone who now shaves his head, and wig glue sent him to the ER for a day because he was allergic to it. New fear unlocked for him. Well, uh, seeing as how he's already recovered from that, more pressing fear. Get winning time of season three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, this would recommend. Uh, very fascinated for these next several episodes. Um, um, it, this, is, this is a show, I guess the way to end it for this is, I think all the theme stuff for it, I'm really curious to see if the how the tone at the end of season two matches kind of the tone at the end of season one and what differences they're saying as the story does unfold. I'm really curious to see like, how they kind of parallel each other and are in conversation with each other. Who do you think wins the 84 finals? You know, I, I'm wondering about these Houston Rockets. You know, do they have a bright future that they knocked off the Lakers? You know, they're gonna they're gonna have something to say before it's all said and done. Well, something to yeah, that's, all. that's on the wing. If you want Adam McKay and learning about the the cocaine Houston Rockets, Death on the Wing is is the podcast for you after you listen to this one. Yeah, how do you think they're gonna do Hakeem? That's another one. There's a lot of gotta be yeah, careful there's, there. Well, well, that and the, I, I do want to see what they do with Kurt Rambis. They do, they do show him like on the bus. Really want to see how the Kurt Rambis thing is going to unfold a little bit, if I'm being honest. Linda Rambis? I, yeah, I, I want to see them slaughter Cupcheck and Rambis and all the people who <laughs> later in life as executives helped run this team into the ground like 10 years ago. But uh, M- M- Mitch Cupcheck, like at Media Day this year, it's just like doesn't take any question about Lamella Ball or Miles Bridges. It's just like, hey, man, what would you think about how you were portrayed on Winning Time? Let's hope he doesn't have to talk about Brandon Miller and Miles Bridges again because he doesn't seem to know what to do with that. <laughs> you know what? He's just getting you know <laughs> skewered on TV by HBO, and then he's having to answer for Michael Jordan's bullshit on the other days. Not great. <laughs> yeah. Tough, tough. Uh they called him the Great White Hope, which I never heard Mixed Cupcheck referred to as the Great White Hope until this episode. Either, which I don't know if that was true either. That's one of those other things. I was like, were they I like that? Mixed Cupcheck was Cupchick? six nine. Yeah. No, yeah. no, never knew he was a forward. Just I've never seen him in real life. So what do I know? You just knew him for doing dumb things as as general manager of the LA Lakers is what you knew him as. Yeah, I very much was aware of Mitch Cupcheck, but I can't say I've seen like a full standing profile photo of him in my life and wasn't exactly watching basketball when he was at in his prime. So Yeah, I mean I looked, you were alive, I looked him up so. because I saw they were trading for him and I was like, was Hold that? on. He's a forward? Like what did, and then yeah, six nine. Go yeah, off. Uh they also smoke a lot in these team meetings. That seems like it wouldn't be exactly helpful now or happen now. No. 
Everyone's just chaining these very long cigarettes. All right, we're going to end there. I'm Chris. Oh, actually, quote of the year. We didn't even talk about the Jerry West thing. This actually refers back to your Paul West thing of him coming off looking like just bad. When when Jason Clark is talking about him and he goes, he's not General Patton storming Normandy, cackled, cackled. Jerry West comes across looking the best, and he should chill on the criticism because 100%. this makes him look infinitely more badass than his, like, old... Like, any, if he wants a kid to ever respect him and not just point to the finals record, he should let Jason Clark go as far as he possibly can. No one's going to know he's the logo in, like, two years when all the kids are fans, and everybody's just going to be like, he lost every single time he tried, except for that one. So... This, when he, this is making things better for him. When he is so excited to trade trade Norm Nixon, and then Pat Riley's eyes glimmer a little bit. When and I'm just like, oh, these these they 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 got that part of it that these two guys are going to be sickos doing this for like 30 years. They get that. Yes. God. And that Paul Westhead is gonna <laughs> go off in disgrace, and just like can't can't stomach to to make the trade. Yeah, it's tough. That's. Yeah, that's said. There's there's a there's an essay to be written about this being like an '80s Reagan America thing. Watch, they kind of hint at a little bit with how they're doing mm-hmm. bookkeeping. Um, maybe we should have an accountant on and talk about how the Lakers are balancing their books. That sounds like a great See? great episode of the Just yeah. Basketball podcast. Eh, you know, you never know. It's a joke, friend. All right, we're gonna end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Thanks again to Dylan Heiser for production. Dylan Heiser, um, send us a note on what you think about this because you are a Lakers fan and let me know what you think of your beloved Lakers, how they're portrayed in this. We should have thought of this before. We'd lo- I'd love to know Dylan's thoughts about how his beloved Lakers are being portrayed in, win- in winning time. Please let us know, Dylan. We'll talk to you guys later this week when we preview the FIBA World Cup. It's here. Enjoy the hoops. Talk to you all soon.